WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. It's the 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden. All the news you need to know with Joe Nolan, Traffic, Justin Ellick, Sports, Lou Dobbs, Business. And now, talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. Yep, that's me, 5 o'clock. Good morning. It is Thursday, April 13th. Uh, I'll get it straight. Let's start that again. Good morning. It's Thursday, April 13th. There we go. Your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sunny and warm today. The high near 90. Tonight and overnight clear. Low 64. And then Thursday, sun and clouds. High 86. If you're walking out the door with us right now, it is 58 and clear out in Northport, out on Long Island. 63 in Perth Amboy, New Jersey. And it's 61 and clear here in Midtown. So happier here. So much to get to as we work our way up to the 6 o'clock hour when I walked in this morning. I ran into Frank, as I always do, of course, because he's doing the other side of midnight, and he told me the sad news that former New York City Sanitation Commissioner John Dougherty passed away yesterday, 84 or 85 years old, and if you don't know the name, uh, you should. I mean, he's been around and he was the sanitation commissioner for years on years. A true civil servant who loved his job like nobody else. And uh, Frank did a nice little memorial to him overnight. Uh, I know a lot of his audience thankfully cascades into this one and then to sit in friends in the morning. But you might have missed it, and I thought it did a nice job. In his office, while he was commissioner, he kept a century-old pith helmet on a shelf, a relic of the white wings, the first uniformed army charged with cleaning the city's streets. His career with sanitation spanned not only 54 years, but eight mayors and snowstorm after snowstorm. This is a man that ate, breathed, and slept all things related to sanitation. Yeah, uh, 75 when he finally retired back in 2014. Brought back once because he tried to retire, but people loved the work that he did. And uh, in a world where we find out, find fault in people, right, especially in civil servants, and then we expose their stories and blow them up, we should salute somebody like John Dougherty for the great work that he did. He loved his job and sorry to see that he uh, passed away yesterday, 84, 85 years old. Of course, our best to his family. All right, let's get into the headlines. The top five at five. There was a big ruling overnight on the abortion pill. A New Jersey police chief was up to no good. More brush fires break out in New Jersey. Donald Trump is back in town. What will he say today? And Dr. J says, yeah, you can go back home to Long Island. All right, let's jump into it. 503, a federal appeals court has preserved access to an abortion drug, Mifepristone, for now, but under tighter rules that would allow the drug only to be dispensed up to seven weeks, not 10, and not by mail. The pill was approved for use by the FDA more than two decades ago. The ruling coming down, this was about midnight our time, the 5th District U.S. U.S. Court of Appeals in New Orleans ruling just before midnight by a 
two to one vote panel, three judges narrowed for this decision by a lower court judge in Texas that had completely blocked the FDA's approval of the drug following a lawsuit by those trying to stop access to it. So the lower court ruling had been on pause for a week to allow an appeal. The appeals court panel also allowed a pause in mail distribution of the medication. The Justice Department can still ask the Supreme Court to intervene to completely block Texas court's ruling. As you can see, it's very complicated. A little bit of a win for one side, a little bit of a win for the other, but this is still all up in the air. Don't know how it will resolve itself. Of course, we will follow and bring it to you and have some smart minds all day right here on 77 WABC analyzing this ruling. 504 now, a suspended New Jersey police chief has been arrested on sex assault charges. Let's get the latest on that now from WABC's Alex Barnard, who joins us live. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Noam. And yes, that's right. Hey, speaking of ripping apart civil servants, right? The New Jersey, well, he's not a civil servant, I guess. He would be a public official. Anyway, the New Jersey Attorney General's office announced the arrest of 55-year-old Thomas Herbst Wednesday afternoon. Herbst had been on administrative leave from the Manville PD since being served with a lawsuit last February. He is accused of various crimes, including sexual assault, groping, and exposing himself, as well as coercing staff members into sex acts at work and in victims' homes. The defendant allegedly ordered the victim at one point to wear skirts to facilitate and escalate his assaults. Our investigation has also uncovered evidence that Herbst would solicit sexual favors from the wives of subordinate officers in order for those officers to receive favorable employment decisions and opportunities. The investigation claims Herbst regularly groped, exposed himself to, sexually harassed, and sexually assaulted a police department subordinate over the course of 13 years. They allege that the attacks often happened while the chief and his victim were on duty, and many of the attacks took place at police headquarters. If the allegations we are detailing today are proven, unfortunately we see what the abuse of power and the abuse of public trust really looks like and how far it can go. Herbst, a department veteran since 1991, faces two counts of sexual assault, two counts of official misconduct, one count of a pattern of official misconduct, and one count of criminal sexual contact. Do we know how long or when they might have been on to the police chief? Did someone just did someone finally go to them and tell them what was happening? Well, like it said, uh, there was a lawsuit that he was that he was uh, served with last year that seems to be related to this case. So. Perhaps there was maybe a joint investigation going at the same time as the lawsuit was being prepared. Who knows? All right. WABC's Alex Barnard. Thank you very much. Good news there of that Route 23 has opened up in the West Milford area. That gives us a little bit of an indication that this brush fire that broke out in West Milford uh, yesterday may be more under control. Maybe for the most part, it has been doused. We were trying to get word as we came on to the air this morning. Uh, part of 23 North that goes through West Milford had been closed. Uh, people in the neighborhood, of course, worried that these flames would come near their homes. No indication that that has happened. I'm horrified for all the residents in the area. I live right in Butler over here, about a mile and a half away. And just opening my window, I was able to smell it. And uh, looking around, like you could see like the sky was getting almost cloudier.
Yeah, so crews began a backfiring operation to help contain this fire right near Echo Lake. The only homes that had potential risk of catching fire were on Blakely Lane. But again, we're being told we think that's okay. The windows, everybody being told to close their windows overnight. It definitely is still a smoky situation. It has been a week of these brush fires because it's been so warm and it's been so dry. Still battling flames in that mass forest fire in Manchester Township in Ocean County. People there say uh, the fire trucks are everywhere, so are the firefighters. There was embers falling from the skies, ashes everywhere, smoke everywhere. It was never this close. I've been here over 30 years. Never, ever had fire this close to the house before. I see the um, small window in my basement, bright orange. I ran out here and there was fire trucks all lined up down the road. And the whole forest was inflamed. Yeah, so uh, they're still battling that. There's a red flag fire warning from the National Weather Service still in effect today. My guess is it'll be through Friday since it's going to be warm again uh, tomorrow. What that means is, you know, just don't start fires. I mean, you can barbecue, but, you know, you don't want to do like a campfire. Not a good time to do something like that. All right, 511. Let's bring it back here into the city. Former President Donald Trump returning to New York City last night for the second time in just over a week, he'll sit for a deposition later today. The former president arriving at Trump Tower. This was late last night. The deposition he will be part of is part of a civil lawsuit brought by New York's Attorney General Letitia James over allegations the Trump Organization falsified financial statements in order to obtain loans. Trump has been seeking to delay the start of this trial in this civil case, but the judge has said the October start date is firm, and he said firm, this is his words, come hell or high water. The last time Donald Trump sat for a deposition with the AG's office was last August, and uh, we did get a little tape of it. He pled the fifth or just didn't answer questions from the attorney general. I declined to answer the question. You are currently the president of the Trump Organization, is that correct? Same answer. Same answer. Same answer. Yeah, so the thought is, is he'll sound like this again today. Same answer. Same answer. Yeah, that was from back in August. Um, The civil case is separate from the criminal case being brought by District Attorney Alvin Bragg. Trump pled not guilty last week, as you'll remember, to 34 felony counts of falsifying business records. The NYPD, by the way, responding to a new threatening letter that was sent to Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg yesterday. Sources tell us that the letter contained a white powder. It was discovered this was about three o'clock yesterday in the basement mailroom at 80 Center Street, where, of course, you can imagine they go through the mail pretty closely. The DA's office later said the NYPD determined that the powder was non-hazardous. And while we're talking about the former president, he is suing Michael Cohen for $500 million. He alleges Cohen, his former lawyer, breached their attorney-client relationship, among other claims. He filed the 30-plus page lawsuit in U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Florida. The lawsuit claims Cohen spread lies about Trump that were embarrassing or detrimental and with malicious intent to wholly self-serving ends. Trump's attorney claims Cohen broke terms of a uh, confidentiality agreement that they both had signed. $500 million, I don't think Trump has, uh, rather, Michael Cohen has a million dollars to his name right now. 
And uh, while we're talking about the Trump family, did you hear this yesterday? Donald Trump's son, Eric, was on Sid and Friends in the morning yesterday talking about how his father is feeling about all these lawsuits and how he's taking it all. Here was Eric Trump yesterday, Sid and Friends in the morning. This is what we've lived with for the last six years. This is, you know, politics in America right now. And it's, you know, it's incredibly sad. You know, my father had never gotten so much as a speeding ticket, I mean, ever in his entire life until he goes down the escalator at, in Trump Tower. And yeah, but uh, Eric Trump telling Sid yesterday that his father is strong, that his father is not going anywhere, that he's going to continue on with his campaign, 2024 White House. And these lawsuits, none of them, whether it be here in Georgia, down in Florida, uh, none of them will stop the former president from trying to get back to the White House 2024. Every major category of crime is through the roof in Europe. Oh, so, oh, I should probably set this up a little bit better. So Eric uh, Trump was going after D.A. Alvin Bragg because he says Bragg is coming after my father for what he says is a nonsense lawsuit. Yet crime is out of hand in New York City and criminals are still walking the streets after committing these crimes because of these bail reform laws. And he says because of a soft attorney general like Alvin Bragg. Every major category of crime is through the roof in New York. And, and the entire DA's office is focused on taking down Donald Trump. Yeah. So again, this is what we know so far today. Donald Trump spent the night at Trump Tower in his building. We'll head down to this is not going to be as big as it was last week, because last week, of course, it was an arrest of the president. This uh, is a deposition where he'll just be on a video camera answering or not answering questions from lawyers. So he's expected to leave Trump Tower at the 9.15 this morning, head down for a meeting that uh, apparently is going to be 45 minutes or so. And he'll take a, do a Q&A with the uh, lawyers, probably take the fifth, and then he's expected to then fly back home to Mar-a-Lago in Florida. 5.15 now. Let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk and say good morning, Justin Ellick. Well, good morning, Gnome Layden. Let's start in Cleveland, where the Yankees held off the Guardians 4-3 to to take the finale and their fourth consecutive series to start the year. Who else but the surprising power lefty in Franchi Cordero stayed red hot, blasting a solo shot in the seventh to tie the game at three. Swung on and hit in the air to deep right center. It is high. It is far. It is gone to tie the game. He's done it again. Frenchy Cordero hit one to deep right center and out. And you know what they say. <laughs> you can bet the ranchy on Frenchy. Oh, can you? He homers to deep right center, <laughs> and the ball game is tied at three. All right. The there, ranchy on Frenchy. There goes okay. the ranchy, I guess. No. Yeah. <laughs> say, say goodbye to the ranchy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that call courtesy of WFAN. The round tripper for Cordero gives him four on the season. Now good for a tie of the team lead with none other than Aaron Judge. Frenchy also leads the team in RBI with 11. He and the rest of the Yanks will try and stay red hot tonight when they welcome in the Minnesota Twins to kick off a three-game set in the Bronx. Johnny Brito will get the ball going up against Minnesota's Joe Ryan for a 7.05 p.m. first pitch. As for the Metropolitans, they completed a series win as well with their 5-2 win over the San Diego Padres in Queens in the series finale last night. Pete Alonso played the difference maker with his league-leading sixth dinger of the year to put New York up 3-2 to two in the fifth. Tyler McGill got the much-deserved win on the bump for New York. 
going five strong innings, allowing just two earned runs on three hits. Mets will open up a three-game set in Oakland tomorrow night after an off day today. On the ice, the Islanders needed every bit of their regular season to finally clinch a playoff berth with their 4-2 win of the Montreal Canadiens last night. In their regular season finale, Brock Nelson scored twice for the Isles as they'll now await the outcome of the Florida Panthers-Carolina Hurricanes game tonight to determine their first-round opponent. The Islanders' victory also eliminated Pittsburgh from the postseason race, ending the Penguins' run of playoff appearance at 16 years, which was the longest active playoff streak in major North American professional sports. Looking ahead to ice hockey action tonight, the Rangers wrap up their regular season at the Garden at 7 p.m. against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Devils will round out their schedule on the road in Washington against the Capitals tonight at 7 p.m. as well. And the NBA play-in tournament uh, was uh, the second half of the play-in tournament last night. The 10-seed Chicago Bulls beat the 9-seed Toronto Raptors 109-105 to move into the second round of the play-in tournament against the 7-seed Miami Heat come Friday night out west. The 10 seed Oklahoma City Thunder survived 123 to 118 to the 9 seed New Orleans Pelicans. The Thunder now move into the second Western Conference playing game against the 8 seed Minnesota Timberwolves, also set for Friday night. Here with sports on 77 WABC. I'm Justin Alec. Just getting started on this Thursday morning, the dramatic 911 calls from the Louisville shooting. We'll hear them before the morning is out. What about this ruling from Jewel Labs and e-cigarettes? We'll jump into that story before the morning is out as well. And then a creepy woman leaves a creepy find behind in New Jersey, and it's freaking out everybody. That story and more, but first at 520, a check of Wall Street. Here's Lou Dobbs. This is the 77 77- WABC, Lou Dobbs Financial Report. Last month's Fed minutes sparking more recession concerns. Fed leaders fearing the regional banking crisis will tip the economy into recession. All three major stock indexes lower. More key inflation data today. March's producer price index forecast to remain flat. Producer prices unexpectedly fell in February. Delta Airlines earnings today. The outlook and focus ahead of the summer travel season. Ticket sales have improved post-pandemic, but not as much as investors had hoped. Delta shares down 13% over the past year. Progressive reports quarterly results today. The stock's up more than 13% this year. New vehicle prices are lower. The average closing price on a new car fell below MSRP for the first time in two years. Please join me several times each weekday right here on 77 WABC. This is the Dobbs Financial Report. Keep listening for more to 77 WABC for the Lou Dobbs Financial Report. WABC News Time 521. Let's go down to Louisville and what it's been a long week for that city and the state of Kentucky, for America for that matter. Another mass shooting, of course, taking place inside a bank building there. We're getting the dramatic 911 calls from Monday's mass shooting. And well, here's a little bit of what it sounded like. Oh, my God, there's an active shooter there. Um, oh, my God. Uh, what's it? We might know the address. It's a broken point. Oh, my God, I just walked down it. Yeah, the uh, dispatchers uh, taking one call after another from people who heard the popping sounds of the bullets or saw this 25-year-old gunman in action. And how do you know you have an active shooter on the site? I just watched it. How did you, wa- you watch it on a team's meeting? On a team's meeting? Yes, we were having a board meeting. Has anybody been shot? Yes. How many people? I don't know. Probably... Eight or nine. Eight or nine people have been shot. Uh Uh-huh. Just horrendous. The uh, family of the gunman responsible for the mass shooting uh, speaking out. 
Morgan Chesky, correspondent Morgan Chesky, says the Sturgeon family was trying to get help for him before the gunfire took place. His family told NBC News that he had been dealing with ongoing mental problems and issues that they were trying to help him address. Yeah, so Sturgeon family releasing a statement. They said there were never any warning signs or indications of what he was capable of, of a shocking act. They went on to say, like many of his contemporaries, he had mental health issues, which they say as a family they had been addressing. They could not have imagined he would have been capable of such a horrific act. Yeah, and the victims of this week's deadly bank shooting remembered yesterday. Kentucky Governor Andy Bashir among the speakers at a community-wide prayer vigil as he encouraged uh, hundreds of attendees to embrace love and not hate. What we need right now, in one word, is love. In a world where we hear a lot of arguments, a lot of anger, where people try to appeal to hatred and division, how about just love? And no doubt you heard the Kentucky governor, one of his good friends, was one of the victims. Louisville Mayor Craig Greenberg also speaking out, emphasizing the need to acknowledge the victims. I lost one of my best friends on Monday, but I've got two friends and more that survived because LMPD got there in about three minutes. When we are talking about the lives lost to violence, there is no hierarchy of grief. There is only the shocking reality that someone who is here is suddenly gone. Yeah, no doubt I speak for all of you when I say I'm sick of all these mass shootings i'm sick of reporting on them i mean just because just everyone seems more god awful than the last right it's just when you think you can't be bad it gets worse and uh, just an astronomical number as we come out of this pandemic there's an astronomical number of mass shootings now like we just we, we've never seen before 525 California among six states in the District of Columbia announcing a $462 million settlement agreement with e-cigarette maker Jewel Labs. The settlement resolves a bunch of lawsuits, including one filed by Los Angeles County, which accused the company of violating state laws by targeting young people through its advertising and promotional campaigns. We won't stand by and let e-cigarette companies put their profits over the health and well-being of our children. Yeah, so that's the California Attorney General. General says the state will get over $175 million, which will fund research and education and enforcement efforts related to e-cigarettes. If you set your sights on our children, we will set our sights on you. California will receive $175.8 million for e-cigarette research, education and enforcement. The biggest state settlement yet reached with Juul. Witnessed a concurrent surge in the number of 14 to 17 year olds who were new daily e cigarette smokers by sidestepping e age verification procedures, sending promotional emails to customers they knew were under age. By the way, uh, I don't know about you, I'm sure you see this. Uh, that's all I see who are puffing, huffing, and puffing on e cigarettes is all young people, right? 20 under in their 20s. I mean, they, and the, the, the actual tools they smoke with, I mean, they're, they are pretty cool looking. I sort of get that part, but uh, I think people, because it's not a cigarette, they forget what it's doing to their lungs. Uh, but I I walk out of here on the Upper East Side, uh, out of work, and you just see tons of people. It used to be right. People would crowd around smoking their cigarettes outside the office. No more, because you don't have to do that anymore. But they're outside with these, you know, 
e-cigarettes, which are built to look sexy, and they do, and they're out there huffing and puffing. So it's not just Juul, it's all over the place. Just getting started on this Thursday morning, we got a lot to get to as we work our way up to the 6 o'clock hour and Sid and Friends in the morning. It was a contentious, loud school board meeting in Long Island last night. I will tell you what the parents were screaming and hollering about and what those officials had to say. The FDNY wants better protection for firefighters who are battling so many of these lithium-ion batteries. We'll hear what they have to say. And New York City finally has a full-time rat czar. We'll meet or introduce you to her, and we'll tell you why Curtis Sliwa was so mad that he didn't get the job. And I'll tell you how I tried to get the job, and it didn't work out. We'll get to that and more before we hit the 6 o'clock hour, but here's this at 529. The 77 WABC News Hour. Talking the news with Noah Layden on 77 WABC. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Talking the news with Noah on 77 WABC. This is the 77 WABC News Hour with Noah Layden. Yep, that's May 531. Good morning. It is Thursday, April 13th. Your forecast now from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Sunshine really warm today, high near 90. Tonight, overnight clear, low 64. We'll do it all over again tomorrow. Thursday, sun and clouds, high 86. Already warm if you're walking out the door with us and so happy you are. It is 58 and clear out in Northport, Long Island, 63 in Perth Amboy, New Jersey, and it's 64 and clear here in Midtown. So much to get to as we work our way up to the 6 o'clock hour. We'll start on Long Island last night, a Long Island school district holding its first school board meeting since a student was stabbed at a school there. Uh, it was a middle school two weeks ago. The community still reeling after a 12-year-old stabbed a 13-year-old in the leg in the hallway of this middle school. It was the same day, by the way, as that Nashville shooting at the elementary school there. There. It was happening the exact same day. So parents upset letting the school board know they hope better protections are being put in place. You failed our children and the staff in that building. The fighting has become a daily occurrence both in and out of our schools. No. Yeah, so on the stage was the school board along with the school superintendent. Out in the audience was uh, all the parents. Many of the people at the meeting, including parents, say they'd been concerned about bullying before the stabbing took place. And they weren't totally satisfied with the responses from Superintendent Anthony Davidson. So a lot of the night kind of sounded like this. Yeah. Just people talking over each other. Um, Davidson opened the meeting by telling parents that the district had added security at the middle school, Lindenhurst Middle School, and that they were working with the county sheriff to review their other campuses. He also said they're working to address the bullying that parents have expressed concerns about. Here was the superintendent last night. Students had information that may have prevented this incident, yet we realize they are children. And this is an opportunity for them to learn why it is important to share information with those who can help. Yeah, unfortunately, it's happening too often at too many schools around the country. The superintendent says the district also working with an anti-bullying group, and they're exploring several other security measures, including random searches of backpacks at the beginning of the school day. 533, let's stay out on Long Island. Suffolk County officials have 
some more answers or a few more answers regarding last year's cyber attack. Officials believe hackers first entered the county clerk's network and then carried out what ended up being a ransomware attack against Suffolk County. Extensive infiltration that had occurred in the county clerk's uh, system by criminal actors. That environment needed a significant amount of work. Suffolk County Executive Steve Ballone there says the completed forensic investigation shows the attack was limited with only 1.6% of all county domains that ended up being impacted. He says the county was able to recover backup data and never paid ransom. The county relaunched online operations earlier this year while experts continue to work on bolstering security measures across all those platforms. Even though we're back online, there are going to be individual applications that may have specific vulnerabilities or systems need to be upgraded before we're comfortable from a security perspective putting them back online. Lots of local governments, including in the tri-state area, were forced to pay that ransomware because they didn't have some of this stuff backed up, but Suffolk County said they did not. I've said it's fair if, if some people want to suggest that I could have acted sooner, uh, that that would have made sense, but you know there was a lot happening behind the scenes where we're trying to get what we need and, and get the information that we need to uh, to address this emergency. WABC News Time 535. Let's go out to New Jersey. Just a really disturbing discovery. A woman arrested after police found dozens of dead animals in her pickup truck. It was parked behind a shopping center. The, the woman who is from Virginia left the truck behind a Marshalls. This is off Route 206 at the Sussex County Mall in Newton. That's where investigators say they found 38 dogs and 8 cats living inside the truck. The remains of another 40 plus animals were also found inside trash bags. The 11th Hour Rescue Group, they sent volunteers in to handle what was just a putrid, disgusting situation. I think we say this each time. We think, oh, this is the craziest story we've ever seen. And then this was really the craziest we've seen. Um, To see them in a truck was unbelievable. Uh, And then they were put in crates as they were kind of caught and found. Yeah, so the group said that animals had been in the car for days. The animals that survived They've been taken to shelters will eventually be put up for adoption. Police did not say why the woman had the animals, why she drove for, to Virginia to that marshals. She has been charged with a number of counts of animal cruelty. 536, the head of the FDNY Uniform Firefighters Association calling for stronger protections for members fighting fires that are caused by lithium ion batteries. Those are the batteries used in things like e-bikes. They've sparked just enormous amount of fires across the city over the last year or so, the association president, Andrew Ansbro, wants New York City to require firefighters to have their gear cleaned after fighting an e-bike battery fire, which are becoming more common. This should never go back in the fire truck. It should never go back to the firehouse. We really should be doing everything we can to mitigate the exposure of our members once the fire is out. There's no point in these exposures. Yeah, so he's lobbying city council members to make it a law, include money in the budget for industrial cleaning equipment. Ansbro says it's long past time for gear to go through mandatory decontamination, adding firefighters have an extra set of gear in case they're called to another fire before it's returned. The more I think about it, it's kind of repulsive that I actually have to lobby to uh, do something that the department the city should be doing already. Yeah, he's right about that. If a building staff... 24-7 by dozens, if not hundreds, of firefighters uh, won't allow these devices in their buildings. 
why is anyone allowing these devices in, in buildings where people sleep? Yeah, well, great question. And of course, um, actually, I should point out, Uber has started a program for delivery, e-bike delivery people across the city. If you have a second-rate charger or a second-rate bike, and those are the ones that have batteries that explode, they will trade you a new one essentially for free. So you just have to get in touch with Uber. You don't have to work for them. They're doing it to, uh, and they said it's an unlimited amount of bikes. That's what they told me yesterday. So if you're a delivery person who has an e-bike and it's a battery or it's one that you bought off-market or an off-market charger, Uber will let you trade it in for little or no money. So check it out. WABC News Time 540. The FBI sending us this alert yesterday. So I'll pass it on to you. Free public phone charging stations, of course, are just everywhere, right? If you go to the airport, hotel lobby, they'll have the cord, the plug ready for you to put your phone in and charge it. And uh, I, I know I've done this before. Apparently, you should not use any of these free charging stations in places like hotel lobbies or airport lounges. The FBI says bad actors have figured out how to introduce malware into people's devices, apparently known as juice jacking. And devices with compromised USB cables can be hijacked. And so what happens is... They are able to get your usernames, your password, your data is stolen. So the FBI warning, if you um, need to charge your phone, know whose USB cable you're using and make sure you're powering it up in a place that you know and that you shouldn't go into these free charging stations because they say it's a great place to have your information hijacked. New York City. Hiring a full-time person now to try and tackle the city's rat problem. Kathleen Conradi, who specializes in urban sustainability and works at the Department of Education, is the new so-called rat czar. She'll make $150,000 a year. Not too bad. Here she was yesterday, uh, Mayor Adams introducing her. Rats and the conditions that support their thriving will no longer be tolerated in New York City. No more dirty curbs unmanaged spaces, or brazen burrowing. Karate will oversee the multiple strategies being used by the city to try and reduce the rat population. Nobody, by the way, has ever been successful at this. I mean, I wish her well. Karate says she'll bring science to a systems-based approach with what she says is a strong focus on cutting off food, water, and shelter for rats. She says she wants to make sure New Yorkers help by putting food-related waste into appropriate bins, which, uh, you know, some people do, but a lot of people don't. I will bring a science and systems-based approach to reducing New York City's rat population with a strong focus on cutting off the food, water, and shelter rats need to survive. So uh, Curtis Sliwa desperately wanted this job. He has this plan that he says he thinks would work was taking cats, uh, taking the cat communities that are all over the city, the ones that live on the street, and let them chase these rats away because he says it works. He's seen it work before. They'll put these cats out in these communities and the rats go away. And um, so he asked me to try and get him that job. So I did. I have to be honest with you. I called City Hall and I started the process of trying to find him a job there. And initially they told me when they heard it was Curtis Lee, they said no. So then he asked if I could try to get him an internship there. And we were very close to making it happen. I got through all the paperwork. I talked to a city council person who was willing to sponsor our internship. But then when it got up to the higher levels of City Hall, 
and with some of the people who work around uh, Mayor Adams, and they found out it was Chris Leo who wanted this internship, they called me and they said that wasn't going to happen. So congratulations to Kathleen Karate, who is now the new anti-Radzar. We need to get the message out to New Yorkers. This is going to take all of us. Fighting rats starts with fighting litter, garbage, and food waste. Yeah, uh, good luck to her. I, nobody's been successful at this. Uh, I think Curtis might have been, and he's on to an, an idea that nobody's trying with the using the cats who live on the street to chase away the rats, but um, it did not happen. All right, let's go to uh, Jersey City Mayor Stephen Fulop. We told you yesterday announcing that he's running for governor. The race isn't until 2025, but clearly he wants to clear the path, at least on the Democratic side. Here he is telling why he decided to announce early. For me, like, look, I need the runway to organize. So if I'm going to build a campaign in or outside the traditional political structure and not just rely on kind of political bosses, you know, charting out my destiny, then it just takes time to organize that. So the 45-year-old Democrat making the announcement on Tuesday that he wants to replace Governor Phil Murphy, whose term is up in January 2026. Full disclosure, I guess I have to say this every time I do the story, he is my neighbor. Fulop, first elected mayor in 2013, says the biggest issue facing the Garden State is affordability, along with bail reform. The state needs reform around livability because it is very expensive to live there. So you need to kind of revisit how you approach property taxes in its entirety and then take that as the first step to make it more affordable. And we see that firsthand as a mayor on the revolving door of people coming in and out of who we arrest and who gets released. All right. The mayor there trying to clear the field. Uh, there's a lot of Democrats, by the way, who want to run or, or are thinking of running. Josh Gottheimer, the congressman from Bergen County, he hasn't said he's going to run, but word is he's thinking about it. A Ross Baraka, Newark's mayor, also apparently thinking about mounting a run. And there's probably a host of other people on the Democratic side who have not said anything. Oh, and Jack Chitterelli on the Republican side, of course, he did not win in 2021. He says he's going to run again. So should be interesting. But it's still a long way away. we got to get through the White House race, then we'll get to New Jersey. All right, 545, let's head over to the 77 WABC Sports Desk and Justin Ellick. Thanks, Noam. Uh, let's start in Cleveland, where the Yankees held off the Guardians 4-3 to to take the finale in their fourth consecutive series to start the year. Who else but the surprising power lefty and Franchi Cordero. He stayed red hot, blasting a solo shot in the seventh to tie the game at three. The round trip for Cordero gives him four on the season now. Good for a tie of the team lead with none other than Aaron Judge. Franchi also leads the team in RBI with 11. He and the rest of the Yanks will try and stay hot tonight when they welcome in the Minnesota Twins to kick off a three-game set in the Bronx. Johnny Brito will get the ball going up against Minnesota's Joe Ryan for a 7.05 p.m. first pitch. As for the Metropolitans, they completed a series win as well with their 5-2 win over the San Diego Padres in Queens in the series finale. Pete Alonso played the difference maker with his league-leading sixth dinger of the year to put New York up 3-2 in the fifth. Alonso smokes one to deep left center. Forget that. That is way out of here. Pete Alonso gives the Mets the lead with his sixth home run of the year. That was a big boy home run. 3-2 New York. That call courtesy of SNY. Tyler McGill got the much-deserved win on the bump for New York, going five strong innings, allowing just two earned runs on three hits. The Mets will open up a three-game set in Oakland tomorrow night after an off day. Today on the ice, the Islanders needed every bit of their regular season to finally clinch a playoff berth with their 4-2 win over the Montreal Canadiens last night in their regular season finale. Brock Nelson scored twice for the Isles. As they'll now await the outcome of the Florida Panthers-Carolina Hurricanes game tonight to determine their first-round opponent. The Islanders' victory also eliminated Pittsburgh from the postseason race, ending the Penguins' run of playoff appearances at 16 years 
which was the longest active playoff streak in North American professional sports. Looking ahead to ice hockey action tonight, the Rangers wrap up their regular season at the Garden at 7 p.m. against the Toronto Maple Leafs, and the Devils will round out their schedule on the road in Washington against the Capitals tonight at 7 p.m. as well. And the NBA play-in tournament continued last night. The 10-seed Chicago Bulls beat the 9-seed Toronto Raptors 109-105 to move into the second round of uh, the play-in tournament against the 7-seed Miami Heat come Friday night. Out west, the 10-seed Oklahoma City Thunder survived 123-118 to to the 9-seed New Orleans Pelicans. The Thunder now move into the second Western Conference play-in game against the 8-seed Minnesota Timberwolves also set for Friday night. Here with sports on 77 WABC. I'm Justin Alec. WABC News Time 549. Let's catch up on some of the big stories of the morning out to New Jersey where a New Jersey police chief is accused of sexually assaulting at least one of his subordinates for more than a decade. The attorney general there alleges Manville police chief Thomas Herbs assaulted at least two women and engaged in sexual act predatory behavior against others. We stand with these victims and denounce this alleged abuse of the defendant's office and his betrayal of all the women and men in law enforcement. So Herbst facing several charges, including sex assault, official misconduct, and a separate case. Retired Howe Township Police Chief Andrew Kudrick is accused of trying to cover up an extramarital affair by threatening a police captain. The badge doesn't make you untouchable, and your office does not give you a right to act with impunity. Because at the end of the day, we all stand equal before the law. Let's stay in New Jersey. Crews battling a large brush fire. This was last night near Route 23 in West Milford. It started near the rest stop off Route 23 North near Spring Lake in the woods. The fire reached about 140 acres. Uh, Some neighbors were worried it would approach their home. So far, that has not been the case. Horrified for all the residents in the area. I live right in Butler over here, about a mile and a half away. And just opening my window, I was able to smell it. And uh, looking around, like you could see like the sky was getting almost cloudier. Yeah, so dry, so warm. That's what's causing all of these fires. Uh, Manchester fires still going as well. There was embers falling from the skies, ashes everywhere, smoke everywhere. It was never this close. I've been here over 30 years. Never, ever had fire this close to the house before. I see the um, small window in my basement, bright orange. I ran out here and there was fire trucks all lined up down the road and the whole forest was inflamed. Yeah, so the state still has a red flag warning, actually, for the tri-state from the National Weather Service. What's that mean? It means uh, more brush fires like this could easily break out. So uh, this is not a time to start a campfire or something like that. Hold off. The weekend, things are going to cool down. The temperature is going to come down. Right now, it's just uh, too intense out there too dry, and that's what's causing all these brush fires. Uh, the president is back in town, former President Donald Trump, for the second time in just a little over a week. He's in town for a deposition of a civil lawsuit brought on by New York Attorney General Letitia James. He got to Trump Tower. This was uh, late last night. He has a meeting, we're being told, 9.15, something like that this morning at the AG's office in lower Manhattan. Uh, he's going to be deposed in this case, uh, this Trump organization falsified this is the accusations that the trump organization falsified financial statements in order to obtain loans uh he was already deposed in this case once that was back in august and abc news got hold of the tape and he essentially gave the fifth every time he was asked a question about this case i declined to answer the question you're currently the president of the trump organization is that correct same answer same answer 
Same answer. Yeah, so the thought is, is you'll hear more of this if this tape gets out as well. Same answer. Same answer. Same answer. Yeah, so again, that's expected to be around 9.15. Not uh, sure exactly when he'll leave Trump Tower, but the p- former vice, uh, former president in town last night slept over at Trump Tower. Uh, out to New Jersey, it is the fourth day of this historic strike at Rutgers University. New Jersey's assembly speaker joining a New Brunswick picket line yesterday. I have a lot of respect for Rutgers, and, and there's a, an extraordinary institution, but uh, it's time to bring this contract negotiation. Yes, yeah, so some classes still taking place. Others were canceled for 67,000 students on campuses Camden, Newark, and New Brunswick. The university threatening legal action if no deal is reached soon with these three unions. It's about 9,000 workers that are off the job. Tuition's already very expensive, as is, I would say, take away money from the football team. Okay, that's not going to happen. But okay, Uh, the two sides were brought together earlier this week by Governor Murphy. Not clear what happened there, but uh, the meeting ended and nothing happened. As far as we know, uh, there's no end in sight. At least today, we've been told the picket lines will go back up on all three campuses. President Biden in Ireland, um, he spoke at Ulster University in Belfast yesterday, the first leg of his trip to Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland to mark the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. But I believe democratic institutions established through the Good Friday Agreement remain critical to the future of Northern Ireland. It's a decision for you to make, not for me to make. But it seems to me they're related. So the president visiting Ireland for the first time since becoming president, he took a tour through County Loth. That's where his maternal ancestors are from. Pride that spoke to the history that binds us and the values that unite us. You're defined by your courage and you're redeemed by your loyalty. Yeah, so it's a four-day trip. I guess today is day two. Did you see this uh, video of Yankees broadcaster Michael Kay had some not-so-friendly words for the team's bat boy? This was Monday night when the Yankees were playing the Guardians in Cleveland. The Yes Network camera zeroed in on this bat boy who had very long hair right down to his shoulders, had a little bit of scruff under his chin. And here's what Michael Kay had to say about that bat boy. Strange to see a Yankee uniform and somebody wearing that uniform with that sort of hair. There are rules. That's rules are rules. Disobeying two of them. I think there's facial hair, and I think there's obviously the hair is below the collar. But the red shoes. That's yeah. also against rules. So you'll remember George Steinbrenner famously did not let anybody have beards. They had to have shortcut hair. So Michael Kay asking, why is this bat boy wearing red shoes, which would be against the Yankees policy? He had long hair also against the Yankees policy and the scruff on his chin. Well, we later find out that bat boys, you would think Michael Kay would know this, but apparently he did not. Bat boys do not travel with the team. So even though he had a Yankee uniform on and he was the bat boy at this game in Cleveland, he worked for the Guardians, not for the Yankees, so he got it wrong. And while we're talking sports, Dr. J returning to Roosevelt, Long Island, where he played basketball as a high school kid to dedicate a basketball court. You can imagine pretty much everybody there excited to see him. I went to Roosevelt schools, and um, in our gymnasium, there's like Dr. J's jersey. It's a wonderful feeling, you know, to see one of Roosevelt's own 
come back here and he still celebrate it after all these years later. Yeah, so beautiful basketball court, uh, basketball court dedicated in Dr. J's honor. Here's Dr. J. It's so easy, you know. Sometimes people have a hard time going home because they have bad memories or what have you. I don't have any bad memories from here. Heart is warm and uh, it's kind of warm outside too, 70 something degrees. <laughs> There was nobody, at least in my opinion, no more, nobody more pretty to watch than Dr. J, the way he could float from the foul line to the basket. Really sort of unbelievable. I can't think of anybody else like him. Ever since George and his brother John announced that they would be closing G. Esposito and Sons, it's the Butcher and Sandwich Shop, really famous one, in Carroll Gardens, Brooklyn. Their grandparents started this uh, shop back in 1922. Both have worked for the business since they were kids. Their kids don't want to take over, so they're closing this famous deli and sandwich shop. Everybody's been so grateful to us and, you know, showing us so much love and support. We serve this community for 100 years of the highest quality food possible. These recipes came from Naples, Italy, from my grandmother, all the way brought down to four generations deep. We make the products, you know, we sell it to the customers. You know, face-to-face, hand-to-hand. Yeah, old-school place. If you've never been there, G. Esposito and Sons, you'd wait in line, and they would, uh, you know, cut you off pieces of meat so you could sample their uh, everything they had uh, in the refrigerator there. It's just about, you know, we need to retire. You know, I got knee situations. My brother's got hip situations. And, you know, it's hard work, you know, and we just can't do it anymore. You're on your feet. You know, we're always in the store. Yeah, they're sad about closing, but they say it's time. So good luck to George and John and everybody at G. Esposito and Sons, which is closing. All right, 558. Let's find out what's happening on the Thursday edition of Sid and Friends in the Morning. Let's head over to Justin Ellick. What's up on the big show today? Well, thank you, Noam Layden. Just about a minute out here. Your Thursday, Friday Eve edition of Sid and Friends in the Morning. Bottom of each hour. You don't want to miss the 77 WABC minicast clip of the day today featuring the Rita Cosby show. 940 this morning, your Thursday edition of the Peerless Spoilers Sid Steak Trivia Game. In the way of guests, 640 this morning, Frank Morano hopping on the program, 705. Nigel Farage will be calling in 7.40 a.m. Andrew Napolitano for his weekly Thursday morning segment with Sid. Some nuggets with Noam Layden at 8.25. At 8.40 this morning, Big Bad Bill O'Reilly, the segment of the week. That's coming up at 8.40. Uh, 9.05 this morning, Bo Dito. And 9.25 a.m. this morning, wrapping things out, Melissa DeRosa. Big show for you, Noam. Sounds like it. Right, we're out of here on this Thursday morning. We'll do it all over again tomorrow. But don't go anywhere now. Yep, Sid and friends in the morning they are up next